I still feel like the $10,000 is so cheap that someone else would come along like me and thought, boy, this is so cheap at $20,000 that they would just buy it. With the access, with road access, with the lakefront, someone who just wants to you know, take their boat out, it would have been, that was right. what kind of sealed the deal for me because it was a good area. Welcome to Turning Profit, a podcast for people that love real estate. Learn the business models and skills that professional real estate investors use to make money and build wealth. Visit turningprofit.com for a wealth of investor resources. And now, here are your hosts, Pete and Heather Reese. Well, Heather, it's great to be back on the Turning Profit podcast. Aren't you going to say we're live? Oh, we're live. Which we're not. We're recording. It's funny, you, right? You've been too. You've done too many live videos over the yeah. years. So you always start with, "and we're live," and then I'm always like, "we're not live." But right. I'm sorry that you missed the joke this time. Yeah, well, you've got so many good jokes; it's hard for me to really keep up with them all. I just repeat what you say. Oh, okay. I've got a lot of good jokes. If that's what you mean. Yes, that's exactly what I mean. So, what are we talking about today? Well, today we're talking about land flipping, and not just anything about mm-hmm. land flipping, like how to get started with land flipping. Okay, cool. I know that's one of the biggest questions that we get a lot is how do we get started with land flipping because it's such a maybe a foreign concept to people, and they think it's cool. They think they could see the results of everything we're doing, but it's like, where do I start? Right. So that's kind of what this episode is about. So, where do we start? Like, okay. I've never done it before. I know what it is now. I understand it. So what do I do? Like, what's the first thing I do? uh, Maybe I should back up and and like briefly kind of go over what land flipping is and talk about our model. I'm normally the one who does the systemic, like, you know, like I'm normally the one that would say that. So I'm, I'm impressed. We're, we're, we're on the same page. Yeah. I mean, I hope we are after how many years of marriage? Couple. (laughs) Couple. Uh Couple, couple, few. Anyhow. So let's talk about land flipping and what it actually is that we do. Pretty much what it is, is it's buying properties and it's reselling them quickly. And not just any property. These are pretty much vacant pieces, vacant rural pieces of land for the most part. These aren't in the middle of some city and they aren't, you know, they aren't even, you know, something on a cul-de-sac or something like that. It's generally these are properties kind of out in the boonies, uh, rural areas that are what we do mostly at this point is five to 10 acres plus. No. Okay. So why... Five to ten acres plus. I got to write down my questions for you. I'm going to do okay. this like I would just all the other you know podcast interviews. So, okay. why five to ten acres? Well, ten acres mostly going good, but at this point, but okay. we've done a lot of you know things in the five acre range. Pretty much, the, the easy answer is they're easier properties to deal with for the most part. Why? You've got more than one exit plan. So if you if you're buying a smaller property, say you're buying a smaller. To take an extreme example, say you're buying a smaller property in the middle of a city. That property is really going to only have one or maybe two uses. You just messed up. That was my next question was, why not in a cul-de-sac? I literally just wrote that. that. You didn't mess up. I meant like you just messed me up. Okay. Right. I messed you up. Okay. So have we ever bought anything like that? Like, have we ever bought in a a cul-de-sac in in more of a suburban or in a city as opposed to like out in the boonies, like you say? Not with our land flipping business. No. So you didn't even like you didn't even consider that. No, because it's outside of what we do. It's outside of our model. 
Okay, so when we started, you kind of created this model, like this is what we're going to target. Right. And maybe there's some people that are like, we only buy the spare pieces in. Yeah, infill lots they're called. Okay. And you're saying there's more than one out. And that's important because like in some communities, like before we had a house, we have a house in in what's considered rural San Diego, right? Mm -hmm. Right now we're in Del Mar, but we do have one in in the outskirts of San Diego. I had never heard of septic systems like that. I don't know. You grew up in Pennsylvania. It's a messy subject. <laughs> it's a messy subject. It's a smelly subject. But had you ever known about that before? Yeah, I had known about that. Why? Because they're common in rural areas. I mean, okay. they're not hooked up to a sewer system. So mm-hmm. you've got to have some way to deal with the human waste, I guess you would say. Okay, so I mean. So, I can't help but laugh. I know, you're enjoying, I know. And I'm like trying not to trigger you because it's like that kid, like someone says something in class and you're like. Yeah. You know, so I'm trying not to trigger you. So I grew up in Orange County. And as far as I know, well, I don't think any of us were on septics. I sewer. Like, I didn't even know about that. So but um, my parents bought a house in rural San Diego and it was on septic. And I remember like they were like, you can't flush these things. You can't use bleach, all this kind of stuff. And I was like, what in the world? I will never, ever buy a house with septic. And then we buy a house with septic and you know, such is life. But, and I don't, I actually think septic's pretty cool. What do you think about it? Cause you're the off. Septic is really cool. <laughs> Cause you're off the system. I don't know. But, um, so you, your thinking was in inner city or not just inner city, but in suburban, if you're on, if you're on, like it's a small info lot, let's say it, it doesn't have hookups. Like it can't be hooked up for whatever reason. I know some cities have waiting lists mm-hmm. to be able to hook up to sewer. I can't believe we're talking about this so much. So you're saying that like these, these smaller lots don't have the same opportunity where there's only one out, like you're, right. you're buying this and you're going to sell it to somebody. Right. Yeah. There's only one thing you could use it for. Well, maybe in a big city, you could more than one use, but, but for the most part, you're going to look to build something on that. Right. You're not going to use it like recreational ATV. I, I guess you could also do a parking <laughs> lot, maybe in some areas where uh-huh. you could do a community garden or something like that, but you're a lot less limited on your choices. And then like the community garlic, garlic, the community garden, my gosh, would be very. Um, you could probably grow garlic. At the community. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, That's very like um, very wonderful project to do, but it would be limited. You it, that would be more money exactly money. okay. Right. Yeah. So we focus on these larger properties because they can generally be used for more than one thing. I mean, you could have a situation where someone could buy it just for recreation. It's big mm-hmm. enough. Ten acres is. A big enough property where someone could cut trails through that and ride their four wheelers on it. They could take up archery. They could have a paintball course. They could do all kinds of things on the property, basically whatever they wanted to do. They could grow things on the property. They could grow trees on the property. They could, you know, build a home there, which mm-hmm. a lot of people do. Or they may at least buy a property like that with the intent of someday building a home. They go to a cabin or putting a manufactured home on there or something. Basically, there's a lot of ways that property could potentially be used. Do you think that most people that are the end users of the land that we sell are building something? I do believe so. Yeah. Like 90%? Well, I think that probably 90% at least have that thought in their head that maybe someday. Okay. They might not have an immediate plan to do mm-hmm. so, but they purchase it for recreation. They like the area, something like that. Maybe they've got some ideas in their head that they're going to be building on it at some point. Okay. And, so, and, and the reason why you're concerned about outside uses other than that is like a property could fail perk test or something, yeah, right? Like you don't know all the variables. Perk test meaning it can't, you can't build a septic on it. Right, exactly. Post, okay. Yeah. And that's one of the main things that you need. If you're going to build on a property, you need to be able to have a sewage disposal system of some sort septic. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and you don't know all the variables until you actually go through the building process. So you could run into some weird municipality where they've got these crazy requirements and you're not going to meet some 
you know, crazy requirement that they have. And then you're out of luck because you can't build on the property. Right. And you normally like this is you mitigate this by doing your research before we you do. purchase. Yes. However, right. things happen. Right. And so, and we've learned through market ups and downs and all around that it's always good to have multiple exit strategies. Right. And you're buying cheap enough that theoretically, hopefully you would at least be able to get your money back. Exactly. But, but still you're thinking, OK, worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. OK. Yeah. So that's why I really like dealing with those type of properties instead. Some people make some investors make a lot of money solely focused on those infill lots, the city mm-hmm. lots, the suburban lots, and those work really well for them. It's just a different segment of investing. And when we're walking around here in Del Mar, there's some that we've seen that are like empty. Right. And, and you wonder like, why are they empty? This right. is like the pr- a premium area mm-hmm. and it's got to be worth a lot of money. Is there something about it that's not buildable? Is it, you know, what is it? Is there a title problem? Like maybe yeah. 5,000 people own it now because someone five and generations ago, right? Exactly. Right. Or someone bought it and they're like, okay, in five years we're going to build. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. or they're in the stages of building. It could be all these different things. Uh, I think it's interesting. Would, um, I mean, I know, I know you, so I already know the answer to this, but would you ever buy one of those lots if it, you, you know, for whatever reason you- If the price was right. And exactly, you're going to say that. It doesn't, yeah, it's not like you have an aversion to this. Right, or if it was in such a premium area where it was like, well, uh, you know, I could foresee us building our dream home there someday. Yeah, I'd consider it, but- Our dream home. Our dream home changes constantly. Yes, it's changing. (laughs) It's like level up. Yeah. Keeps life interesting, right? Right, Yeah. Okay, and what's the biggest, like you say the, you say around 10 acres, but- since I'm the one that sends the wires, I've noticed that a lot of them are not 10 acres. Mm-hmm. Right. So a lot bigger. Right. Okay. So it's like um, today you send a wire for a 123 acre property. Did I see? I didn't even realize that. Okay. But you just saw the big number on the wire. Yeah. So I was like, this better be a lot of acres. Mm-hmm. What is there a maximum number of a size property? Mm-hmm. No. There's nothing you'd say like that is way too big. No. No. I mean, I you know I'd like to be a land baron. You can Baron. be a land baroness. Oh, that sounds that sounds wonderful. Um, no thanks. Um, but our children. I saw this discussion in a Facebook group. I was like, "Well, so how many acres do you have to own in order to be a land baron?" Wait, this, that was like a legit conversation. <laughs> I think it, as a joke, but yes. Wow, I think you can buy like a one one thousandth of an acre in Scotland and be a lord. Mm, yeah, is that what I think? Yeah, I think something like that. Yeah, I remember you seeing get a deeded title to this and. You're- uh-huh. Yeah, it's too funny. But you don't get property rights or something. It's just, that's I some saw, good marketing. Right. I, like it. I mean, that's a novelty right. gift, but maybe right. you're onto something. Maybe you could sell, you know, fractional shares of an acre and you could bestow certificates and tell people that they're land baron like baronesses. Yeah, that is a really good idea. I might actually do that. Yeah, no, you're not doing that. That sounds wonderful. Uh, okay, so I don't even so remember. Do you, do you want me to, to kind of explain the Yeah, you should just do that. Yeah. So basically what we do is we buy parcels of land, mm-hmm. we buy them at a discount, mm-hmm. and, and we pay for them cash. And don't get hung up on that, first of all, because if you don't have the cash yourself, there's a way to bring in partners that will put up all the cash, so you've put in none of your own money. Mm-hmm. We'll get into that later. But uh, we buy these properties cash mm-hmm. directly from property owners. We generate all of our leads by using direct mail. Basically, we send out letters to all these people, and it's not just a letter like, hi, I'm Pete, I want to buy your land. It's a two-page letter. First page is kind of explaining why we're contacting them and what we do. Second page is an actual offer for their property. Now, we get the offer price and all the data about the property owners and everything from uh, a service where we pull the lists. We refine those lists. 
and we create basically a big mail merge and we use a mailing service to send this all out. But we're creating these offers based off of the size of their property, average prices per acre in an area, retail, and then we back off a certain percentage of that. And then we're sending out all these offers to people and then they're getting back to us. Some people won't accept right off the bat. Some people will respond and be really angry that I sent them a really low offer. And then some people will say, hey, you know, can you can you get me more? You know, Mm -hmm. so basically it gets the phone to ring and we get the conversation started. It allows us to dig into their property a lot deeper, see exactly what it's going to take to put a deal together. Once we do put that deal together, we go through a process of due diligence, we call it, which is essentially learning everything we can about that property before we actually close on it. Because we close through a title company, we close through an escrow or an an attorney, depending on what state we're buying this property in. Mm -hmm. And um, sending out someone to the location, taking pictures, drone photos, all this kind of stuff. What are you looking for? Red flags. We use uh, software where we can pretty much tell most things about a property just from our computer screens. And we're in California and we're buying properties all over the United States. Mm-hmm. So we're able to look up all these properties, find out all this detailed information. Is it in a flood zone? Is there road frontage? What's the topography like? Is it on the side of a mountain? What's How my do- thing? What's the one thing that I... Swamp? Okay. Uh, no, what do I like? I-, I do not want next to it. Oh, like a hog farm? <laughs> yes. And we run into that quite a bit, you know, uh-huh. we've actually uh, sent out offers to actual hog farms and we were like, well, no, I don't want to buy that. Sorry, that was a mistake. We do. Yeah, we're yeah. not interested in your hog farm unless you'll right. free all the pigs. And unless we'll decommission it. And, you know, yeah, then we would consider it. That sounds messy, too. Um, what is something that you, I'm you sorry. want me to finish? Yeah, yeah. I'll write down my question. Okay, you write down your question. Okay. I'll finish. Please. Um, okay, so so basically we we, as soon as we are done with our research and the title company is ready to close we close on it we actually buy the property and then instantly we're we're working on getting that property on the market and listed with a real estate broker local to that area and a lot of times what we'll do is some minor kind of development things to this property could be something as simple as clearing brush or clearing paths through the property it could be getting a survey it could be getting a perk test for the septic system you know, there's a number of different things depending on the actual property and what we think will work best for the area and to kind of increase that value. You know, we'll we'll get those done if it needs to be done, and then we'll put it on the market and get it sold. And we put it on the market at a price that's slightly below what market value is. And if it's a good property, which we only focus on buying good properties, if it's a good property and it's priced right, it will sell quickly. Our average time in inventory right now is about 60 days. So these are very quick situations. Like we actually own most of these properties for only 60 days. Some of them are actually quite a bit less. Some of them end up being more because we were maybe trying to get too high of a price for it or something came up that was unforeseen. But but as an average, averaging all the properties together, it's about 60 days. So that's it. We're buying properties off market. We're improving them if they need to be improved in some way. And then we're or at least making it marketable. Yes. I think that's like, even if we're not doing a major improvement to it, Mm -hmm. but we're making it marketable. So it would be like if you're going to sell your car, you know, some people drive around with their cars, you know, and and they may have, you know, maybe dirty and they Mm -hmm. may have all all these things inside that just just not polished up. If you were going to sell your car, you would get it detailed. You would maybe buy some new formats. You would do do some little things like that. And that's kind of a similar type thing. Like tell this, like, 
I think that we learned that little trick. Like you could list it. Like you could buy it for ten thousand. Let's buy it for ten thousand. Mm-hmm. List it immediately for fifteen thousand. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of people do it. They don't do anything to it, right? That's right. just like literally just flipping it. Or you could do something that costs, you know, I don't know, five hundred dollars, and then get seventeen fifty for it. Right. Right. So, w- do you remember when we learned how important just that little thing is? Hey, everyone, just a quick reminder that you can join our community for free at LandConquest.com. Inside, you'll get all the resources, training, and support for building a thriving land flipping business. Once again, that's LandConquest.com. All right, enjoy the rest of the show. Oh, yes, yes. It was when we had our used car lot. Yeah, it's so funny. I knew exactly. It's like that was we learned so quickly. Go ahead. Yeah, we used to own a used car lot, and this is a whole nother chapter in our life a long, long time ago. But I, I put myself through college selling new cars. And when we first got married, we were like, hey, we should, you know, look at some side hustles, they call it now, mm-hmm. but they didn't call it that then. And we ended up buying a couple cars at auctions and then reselling them, curb stoning them, they, mm-hmm. as they called it then. Basically, you put a sign on, you park it on a busy street. And we were selling a lot of cars that way. And then we found out that you could only sell a certain number of cars that way in California before they force you to get your dealer's license. And then we thought, well, this we're making a lot of money at this. This is kind of fun. Let's get our dealer license. One thing led to another. We opened up our own used car lot. But we learned so much about buying and selling and people and everything from that business. It was really invaluable for us. I think a couple, uh, the takeaway, the first one from that is that we found a really good source. Like we were buying county vehicles, mm-hmm. which county and city or municipalities where they had to, sorry, I know. Pizza reminded me to talk into the microphone where they had set schedules, right? Like maintenance schedules. So it was like these vehicles were not fancy by any means, but they had been like well-maintained. And we found a niche in the pricing. Like we're selling dirt cheap, like the car, like we did a certain markup or whatever. And it, and it worked. But then we realized one day walking in, walking in Walmart, we've had a lot of pivotal moments at Walmarts Mm. that we were like walking by and we're like, wait, they have really cheap floor mats and stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And wheel covers. Right. And we were like, this would like, this would make it, it was really 20 bucks. It was like really cheap. Like Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, that's crazy. When cars had wheel covers. No, they don't. They don't. Huh? I know this is that it was like 20 years ago. Um, but it was just that little bit of like shining it up and it cost us practically nothing. And we got even more money because the perceived value was there, but also just, I think with the land, it's, it's more usable. Like you were just saying how you cut a path through it. Right. So people can at least go and see the whole property or at least a substantial amount or more of it to see what they're getting. That's right. You know what I mean? They can actually walk through it. Mm -hmm. A lot of these properties are so overgrown. You can't even walk into the interior of the property. So how are you going to sell something if people can't even check it out? Something as expensive as a piece of land. Yeah. And they can't see how cool it is and all the different Mm -hmm. features. We don't clear. I don't like clearing wood because huh? i don't like cutting do down wood yourself i don't know you I, mean clear cut that's a clear cut yeah, yeah okay yeah i don't that like hurts but uh it just feels bad so i think that that was interesting so i don't know where i cut you off but continue yeah well basically i was just kind of recapping the model and and what we do so that's kind of that's kind of the basics of what we do mm-hmm. i guess there's a lot more that goes into it but that's what we do and getting started i guess is uh is is a whole nother thing and then I think that's what this episode is going to be about, right? Like how to actually get started in the land flipping business if you had any interest in it. Okay. So. How many calls do you think you take a day? Me personally? Uh-huh. Now, or not you, but Zero. like like how many um how many seller calls do you think that we get a day? Uh-huh. Maybe 10 to 20, something okay. in that range. And then when we first started, like your first batch of mail, how many did you get a day? Couple? 
two or three, yeah, maybe. Two to three, maybe. Okay. Something so like when you're starting, it's manageable. Oh, yeah, and you definitely. can, you know, two or three calls a day. It's nothing. Right. You could do this as a as a side hustle. You know what I mean? Like right. and and then you can build it up. Mm-hmm. What is something that you've discovered by photo? Like you were just talking about how like you do all the research beforehand. Mm-hmm. But like and then I was like, okay, and you send somebody out there. What have you discovered by photo that's been like a no? Or something that you had yeah. to offer a different price. Well, recently, this just happened not too long Do ago. Do I know about it? Uh, I don't think I even talked to you about it. No. Cool. We got under contract to buy this property. Great area. Lots of, you know, good value in the property. We thought we would it would be a really good one for us. And uh, we sent the photographer out to the property. And he got out to the property. And he was like, well, you know, he took his pictures and everything. He couldn't really access the majority of the property just be, because of what i'll tell you here but <laughs> oh, no. uh, we got the photos back and everything and you know he writes up a little report and first thing first picture i saw was this broken down like beat up rv type thing that was kind of blocking the access to the property and i thought well that's that's kind of crappy maybe we'd get someone to tow this thing off or whatever and then the interior property there was like a whole camp of people that were were living on the property you know squatters that were mm. you know there was a stream on the property that I swear that the water had like a green. Are you serious? To it. it was like next to this, this dump oh, type damn. area that had these like big, like jugs, like jug, jug was- uh, like 55 gallon drums. So like that, I couldn't tell from the satellite images what the actual site looked like, but we sent the photographer out there and obviously it came back like that. And I, I just saw one red flag after the other. And I was like, well, this is not, <laughs> You're not gonna work. I don't, I'm not really interested in this property. And you know, it happens sometimes, but that's something that we didn't can't tell from mm-hmm. looking at your computer satellite images or or anything like that. So. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, the broken down RV, you were like, okay, we could get that towed. Right. I, I can write that into the price. Evicting people off of land, like that's right. just a whole. And then if you evict them, how do you know, how are you going to stop them from stop, coming back? Yeah. And then their potential polluted river. Right. And that. That's one that's like a non-negotiable one for me. No. Like if you toxic waste and <laughs> no, it's not something I want to deal with. No, no. I mean, yeah, yeah maybe so. someone else would pick that up and be like, I can, but that's not. Right. And I think knowing your limitations. That's right. Like that's just not something we want to. Spend. I'm glad you didn't tell me that one. I'm like, yeah. Well, like, it was an instant. Like, wow. No, we can't buy that. Yeah. One. So, you know, we did waste some money sending out a member of our team, a photographer, to go out there and check out the property and everything, but it's money well spent avoiding avoiding something that could have been a big problem for us and that's the other thing too is that you know we've talked about this before how some people will do they won't use an attorney they won't use title they won't have title insurance or they won't use escrow depending on the state or however they could right where yeah you're gonna save i don't even know a few hundred bucks five six seven hundred dollars even maybe a thousand dollars in some of them but that's like insurance for your investment yeah. Right. Like you write that into your pricing. That's right. And then you're also making sure that the sellers are protected just as much as you. Right. It's just as it's a legit business. Yes. It's move. a legitimate way to do things. I'm, right. I'm always surprised. I, you know, I, I hear other land investors doing They call it self-close. Mm-hmm. Basically, they'll, you know, they'll give someone a check and then they'll, someone will sign the deed over to them right there without even really doing any sort of extensive title search. Like, how do you even know that these people actually own the property? Right. Or there wasn't some sort of problem in the chain of title where when they acquired the person they acquired it from didn't have the legitimate right to sell it to them. And, you know, there's all these things that um, most people are not qualified to do on their own. That's they should go through a title company. Yeah, we had a couple like we bought a house one time and the title report came back and 
half of the house was on the neighbors. Yeah, the, the legal description was all messed uh-huh. up on the previous deed. Yeah. And it took months for that situation to be resolved. And, you know, if we if we hadn't gone through a title company, we just did some sort of deal direct with the homeowner or something like that, we may not, we probably wouldn't have caught that. And then we would have ended up with uh, half, the, half a house. We wouldn't have owned two bedrooms and a family room or whatever yeah. it was. Um, and then one time we bought a car. And remember the VIN was a different number? Yeah, yeah. Then on the, uh, I was, it didn't match the paperwork, didn't match up, but which has nothing to do with land, but it's just about those, the small things like verify, 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 and then use the tools that are available to protect you, protect everybody. It's, you know, it, it is an, an investment, even if you're going to be flipping it quickly, you need to make sure you actually own it. Yeah. The same kind of thing. Like you, you said you, that we employ local brokers. How has that helped jumpstart your sales? Or- oh yeah. Well, I've been fortunate. I've connected with some really knowledgeable local land brokers. And I did this because out of necessity, you know, as you're getting going in this business, one of the big things that you really need to spend a lot of time with is learning how to evaluate properties, getting good on what they're worth, what you think you can resell them for. And one of the big ways that you can really accelerate your growth in that area is to get an opinion from a local broker. Now, the one thing that where I think a lot of people, a lot of new investors maybe make a mistake is that they'll make all these calls to local brokers and things, but they won't give them any incentive to actually spend their time to research property to actually, you know, want to give you their opinion on the property. I mean, one of the big things that we do is we use a local land broker to resell all of our properties. Mm -hmm. And we try to find a top one in every area to help us. So it's really important for us that we loop them in on that process. When we get a property, one of the first things we're doing is reaching out to them and saying, hey, what do you think this is worth? What are the potential red flags in this property? What do you think we could resell it for? Anything else we should be aware of? All those things. And then the fact that they're able to chime in and help us out, um, we give them the listing on the other side. So there's, they actually have a financial incentive to help us out and price it right from the beginning. And they're not just giving us free advice just for the heck of it. We're giving them something in return. It's got to be a good business relationship has to work for both sides. So I see too many land investors or just investors overall that are not, they don't think about it from that perspective. They just think that all these real estate agents and brokers should just you know, spend their time giving these investors their, you know, their values and things like that. And that's just not the way the world works. Well, I think a couple of things we learned when we were doing REOs, short sales and all that kind of stuff, we started doing BPOs a long time ago now. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things was some of the companies, if you did the BPO, you got the listing. Mm -hmm. So if it ended up going to foreclosure, so it was like, yeah, these BPOs are kind of a pain. We said we got, you know, you got some money for it. it. Right. You got something. Um, but it was, you know, we were, I would say 75% of the time, if that company got the REO, you got the, you know, the listing cause right. you did the BPO. Um, and so it's kind of that same thing that if, you know, we're valuing these agents and so they're providing that, but then they get the listing. Right. Um, the other thing is, you know, just like in any profession, there's real estate agents that just are slackers. Mm-hmm. Right. They just, they just don't care. Right. You know, and that's okay. Right. That's whatever their business model but then you have some that are just amazing. Right. And that's the the magic is you find those amazing ones, but then also you find ones that specialize in just land. Just land. Oh, it's a hundred percent essential. You know? Right. You know, everyone's got their area of expertise. And if you're, you know, talking to a, a res- regular residential real estate agent that deals with single family houses, I mean, that's their thing. 
most of them are not experts in land. They don't, they don't know all the nuances. They don't know the values. They don't know, they don't know what they don't know sometimes. So, and people aren't coming to them for land either. Right. Right. right exactly. Like, That's you know, a very rare situation. Yeah. And most of them don't even want to deal with land really. But the fact is that if you find some really quality land brokers that can help you out by giving you their opinion on the value and, and some other information about the property. I was making sure I didn't kick you. Oh, that's right. <laughs> uh, you'll learn quite a bit in the process. I mean, if you're if you're truly trying to find the best of the best, you're going to learn so much from them and it'll be a win-win relationship. It's like, you know, if you go to um, on a vacation, you're not going to ask someone who's never been there. Right. Right. Like, hey, can you give me suggestions for restaurants in, you know, Topeka? And they're like, I've never been there, but sure, like these are great restaurants. Yeah. You need someone who's not just been there, but has been doing this. Right. And you and they have a passion for land, just like you have a passion for right. land. They're invaluable. And I think it also helps because you don't you you yourself don't have to have a license. Right. You know, you don't need to be a broker. You don't need to be a licensed yeah. agent. No. You have this person that's going to do. They're going to field all the inquiries. They're yeah. going to know. They're going to have been there. Right. That, so even though you've never been there, they've been there. They can answer these questions. They're going to do the paperwork. You know, they're going to ensure a smooth transaction. The other thing I really like about using agents is you're like, you know, if if there needs to be renegotiations for whatever reason, maybe their loan doesn't go through or who knows what different situations if they're getting a loan for this. It's these two agents that can mitigate that. Right. It's not like the agent. I'm sorry, the owner, you and this person. Sometimes it happens and it's great, mm-hmm. but some people are just are not good negotiators or right. they're not good um, resolution. Distance sometimes between the buyer and the seller. Right. You know, like I personally would not be the type of person that would be good uh, being an owner seller mm-hmm. and dealing with somebody. Right. I just wouldn't, just would not work. You, you are fine with that. You'd be good. But you know, then you're spending all your time selling. Right. So you can't find as many deals because you're feeling all these phone calls. And I don't think people realize how many phone calls agents get too. Right. Exactly. Broker. I, I say they name agent, but I mean brokers too, real estate professionals. Yeah. So it's, you know, and, and obviously we pay a really healthy commission on the resale side mm-hmm. because a lot of these properties are not million dollar properties, you know, so yet we pay a higher percentage commission than most other investors do because we want to work with the best of the best and we want to make it worth their while. And really, if you're talking about a two, three percent difference in commission, it's uh, negligible with the amount. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you should have enough profit built into your deals. So that's not even a concern at all. Mm-hmm. Now, um, talking about price, you alluded to you list the properties at a really healthy price, like a, a good price. Mm-hmm. You're not trying to get top dollar. No. Why? Well, because we want to sell fast. So price is the biggest thing that the biggest lever that you have to control how fast a property sells. Now, this is assuming that it's a good property in the first place. So. Mm-hmm. We try to only buy good properties. Uh, we're not buying landlocked properties. We're not buying uh, swamp land. We're not buying mountaintops. What is landlocked? Just in case, I, I know. Landlocked means that th- there's this parcel. If you look in the map, there's a parcel, and it's surrounded on all sides by other parcels. There's no road that gets owned by other people. No legal access. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like property owners own all these different properties around it. And you're just on an island, really. It's not the most frustrating thing. It's like, why? Yeah. Yeah. And how did that happen? But there's mm-hmm. been so many properties out there that are like that. So if you buy a property like that, first of all, you better be buying it really cheap. And second of all, you have to really think about your exit plan. Like, who are you going to sell it to? Are you going to sell it to uh, someone that has their own helicopter? Yeah. <laughs> <It's a joke>, but <laughs> yeah, I know. Are you going to sell it to one of the neighbors? That's a really viable strategy. Mm-hmm. But if you've got six neighbors around there, what if all six of them don't have the money to buy it or don't want to buy it? Um, and then I want to ask you to tell the story about the time you bought a lake. Oh, yes. yes. Okay. So finish that. We bought a couple lakes. I know, but you probably know which one I'm talking about. Yes. Okay. 
Yes. Well, we'll find out when you tell the story. But I think it's an interesting because right off the bat, I was like, the heck, Pete? Like, like I, I think I didn't say it what the heck. Out. Right. But I was like, beep, 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 you know, like to me, it was a landlocked property. Uh huh. But to you, it wasn't because it really wasn't gone. Yeah, it wasn't landlocked. So, well, do you want me to talk about the, I forget, I got sidetracked. Do you want me to talk about the lake or do you want me to talk about, was I talking about something else? I, I think you finished that. Go on with the okay. lake. Yeah. I'll tell you about the lake. Are you looking to scale your land flipping business quickly? Well, we're happy to present our new cutting edge system built specifically for land flippers. Take a look at the Land Conquest business system today and you'll gain full access to a customizable pre-made website, CRM, dedicated phone numbers, text automations, 24-7 support, and more. It's basically a business in the box. Go to software.landconquest.com to learn more. Um, this is a very interesting property. 23-acre property. I was actually mad. I want to stop you. I was mad after we sold it. Right. Gone. We'll, we'll tie uh, that in. know why. Mm-hmm. This is a 23-acre property and about 20 acres of it. I sat back so I can't interrupt you. Right. About 20 acres of it was all water, an actual lake. Now, this is in the middle of a really cool subdivision, actually. Like, this subdivision was built around this lake, and there's homes all around the rim of this lake. And like there the, people that had docks. And- right. It was like this. It was a, see, I said I was going to interrupt you, but I'm going to. It was literally like a lakefront resort. To, yeah, or, really you know, cool. So it's like all these houses, it's like the lakes here, and all of the houses are along the lake, and they have these, what do you call them, where you can- Docks. Docks. Thank you. Right. Yeah. So like their identity was this lake. Right. Yeah. The whole community. And these are nice, nice homes too. Mm -hmm. These are not, you know, you know, shacks um, in any way. And it also had about three acres or so of other property with it that was not really buildable. It was kind of a wetlands type area. Mm -hmm. There was a spot though you could, we could have put things on. Right. Maybe not. Right. Or, but it was like, maybe not a house, but we could have put little shacks, like you Mm -hmm. said, like that would have been fine. Seasonally. So we bought this property and we bought it for only $10,000. Amazingly. And I just thought, you know, we had the, we, we had offered something much higher initially. And then when I pulled up all the details about it, I was like, oh, this is, this is a lake. I can't buy this. <laughs> and the guy came back to me and I would explain to him why we couldn't and everything. And he, he knew, but he's like, so what could you buy it for? And I just kind of threw out like a really low number. I said, well, I mean, the only thing that makes sense for us is $10,000. He's like, and you didn't think he'd take that. You were kind yeah, of just blowing him off. No, like, I guess like for I'm 10 grand, something so low that I thought. He's going to just blow me mm-hmm. off. So that's what Michael was there. And he said, okay, I'll do it. And then I thought, oh, no, how am I going to talk Heather into this? <laughs> this lake. So it's beautiful. And I led with all the pictures. I showed Heather all the pictures and told her about everything. And But but the thing that was a little unclear or a little shady, what was, what was the exit plan? Who's going to buy this lake? Right. What was the buyer of this? Who would be the buyer of this lake? We put it on the market, I think, for... Forty-nine nine, some somewhere around there, and instantly we started getting calls from people that were owners on that lake, and for one reason or another, I don't know what happened in its past, but the property, like they never had a homeowners association. You would think something like that would be communally owned by like an association or something like that. Normally, these yeah. things are, but for some reason, when it got developed, that didn't happen. It's so, like maybe the owner retained the lake so they could use it right. because it was like a road and then an access like a land so they could like drive their exactly. boat onto the lake. So maybe that was the deal. Yeah, that, that was probably you're probably right on that. So then yeah, I ended up with it. And um, so we started getting calls right away. My, our broker did. And, you know, they were 
offering really low amounts and all this kind of stuff. And we just kind of held firm a little bit, ended up selling it, I think, for close to 40,000, 35, 40,000, somewhere mm-hmm. in that range. And it was basically a group of the home, homeowners there that put together their own association, bought it together. And then instantly their properties were more valuable. They wouldn't have some sort of weird thing going on at the lake. We were going to do a jet ski rental business or something. Mm-hmm. We weren't, but in my mind, with I think they were, yeah, you know, you know, it was like, yeah. well, if they mess around with us, we'll just start yeah. a jet ski or a yeah. no, oh it, no, it was a spring break, spring break boat. I remember yeah, like boat Lake Havasu. That's what yeah. I was in my mind. I was like, well, I'll just yeah, I would never have done that, but it was fun to yeah. So, but uh, interesting story. It ended up working out okay. I mm-hmm. guess it could easily have gone sideways as well if if none of those people wanted to buy it, then we would have, you know, maybe reduced it to the point where, you know, I still feel like the ten thousand dollars is so cheap that someone else would come along like me and thought, boy, this is so cheap at twenty thousand dollars that they would just buy it. Well, but, you, I mean, with the access, with road access, with that, uh, with the lakefront, someone who just wants to, you know, take their boat out, it would have been. That right. was what kind of sealed the deal for me because it was a good area, mm-hmm. and it, but it, it was close enough, but far enough away from like more suburban areas, mm-hmm. so it would have felt like going up to the mountains, right. but not really. And I was like, a ten thousand dollars, absolutely, because I felt I figured you could at least just get. 20 for it. So right. someone would pay, I would pay $20,000 if I was really into boats to, to have a place to have your own lake. You go fishing or do whatever you do. Jet skiing. Yeah, exactly. Jet skiing. Right. So, okay. So we sell it, but then why was I upset? Well, there was a really cool home that went on the market right on the lake. So we could have bought that home. I think it was right then, next to the vacant, the land part too, wasn't exactly, it? It was yes. like, so we could have, it was perfect location and we could have bought that home, packaged it with the lake and had something pretty amazing either to hold on to or to resell for much harder. Yeah, it was like but. my my getaway house. Right. That's what I was going to, I was like, okay. Oh, because it was, um, you were talking, it was kind of marshy, but it had looked like the owners of that house were really into gardening. And for yeah. some reason I was like, I'm going to be a master gardener, which would never happen. But thinking of all the tomatoes I would grow there. Okay. But yeah, that was kind of an interesting one. But I think that that just showcases that sometimes you look at like the hog farm or the polluted River, that's a no. Right. But sometimes where your instant like gut, like to me, I probably would have been like, no, Pete, we're right. not, yeah, I would not buy this. It's a, it's Martian Lake. And then you actually stopped and thought about it, mm-hmm. you know, right. and it doesn't hurt to offer the, like, it didn't work at that certain price, but you, what did it work at? And you threw out a number mm-hmm. and, and maybe you would have been like, no way. Or maybe he would have taken less. It doesn't matter. It was a fair price. Mm-hmm. He accepted it. You just never know how they're going to work out. And sometimes you right. just have to play them. Yeah. And we subsequently bought and sold another lake that was around the same size. No, it was, it was actually a lot smaller. It was like maybe 11 or 12 acres or something like that, but another beautiful lake. And this one was just more of a pond than a lake, I guess you could say, but it was just a recreational type property and you're not going to build anything on it because it was all lake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but some bought it probably because to, to use, use it for boating or whatever they do. But so anyhow, and we made money on that one too. Right. I think that's another good lesson is that you need to think beyond what you, you mm-hmm. right like so i'm not really a fisher i'm not a hunter i don't camp i don't appreciate that side of things as much as other you people don't even glamp i don't even glamp i glamped once and it was the best glamping experience i'm still i'm done i'm a one and done um but that doesn't mean that it's not like there are people out there so don't put your limitations on these properties mm-hmm. like think of who your end user is and i think that's with any of the businesses we've run like who who's our target audience right. like you've got to know that before you even buy it who would buy this right and then you need to think if i were them you know would this is it easy to get away from or get away to you know like we talked about you're buying more rural areas but these aren't like in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. 
Like, right. are you, are you, are you targeting like middle of nowhere? Maybe you are some of them. I mean, most of the stuff really is within an hour or two of a major metropolitan area. And I guess that's a lot of the United States. It's kind of that way. If mm-hmm. you really look at the maps and everything, but you know, these, these ones, uh, these properties, um, you know, someone in a major metropolitan area might think, oh, Hey, I could buy this property and get away over there on the weekends. And the way with technology is advancing internet access in these rural areas. I mean, those type of places are becoming a lot more appealing to people, maybe because they don't even have to go into their job in the city every day or mm-hmm. once in a while, you know? So the thought of maybe building something in maybe one of these rural areas is very appealing to some. I think of it too, that like, you know, here's the, everyone really wants to live in city a right mm-hmm. here. Right. And so, and then you have that next degree, which is city B, which is a circle around it. Then you have city C, which is not really city, but you know what I mean? Like that ring. And if you're buying in city C, or if you are in city A and you're looking, well, you know, I could really stretch my money. Right. I'm still in the central location right. and you know that it's going to catch up. Right. So well, if you look at, time. yeah. And, and I think the other thing too, is like, I really like college towns, like just for out, other stuff, hospitals. What are some other ones? Like distribution centers. Mm-hmm. Or when like a big company is going to be moving, like we just announced that we're going to be, you know, building a whatever in this area. And maybe, you know, right there, it's already kind of taken off or whatever. But like, look at that, like, because you're going to have all different wage earners in that area. And where are they going to live? You know, I mean, within an hour or so, yeah, people commute. Mm-hmm. Especially if they can have that, you know, or if they they don't have to go into the office in hot areas. And I know a lot of people like certain states or don't like certain states. Do you have favorite states? I like the East Coast mostly for what we're doing now. I mean, and there's a lot of states on the East Coast that we deal in. Mm-hmm. The West Coast, uh, California's a little tough. There are some areas in California that kind of work well with this business model, but we don't do a lot in California right now, even though we live here. Mm-hmm. Um but you would not. West is good. Too. You wouldn't be like, I'm not buying. If, if a deal came to you, absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, it's just some e- some areas seem to be a little easier to get deals than others, I guess you could say. And some some areas we build up some a really good kind of infrastructure and contacts and things like that. So we focus a lot of attention in some of those areas and, and kind of built that business up in that way. So we're always always looking to expand our areas and always looking to expand the people that we're working with. But it's... Uh, you know, it seems like a lot of our business right now is on the East Coast. Yeah, maybe not even like intentionally in the sense that we were like, we're not doing like this is the line. Mm-hmm. But I think that once you start building the resources, to me, that's a huge, oh, it's a big a huge that, draw. Yeah. And we've also learned in some areas it's harder to get contractors. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know, or the cost of things are just crazy, you know, and that and that changes that, you know, ebbs and flows. Is that the yeah, right thing? Yeah, sure. But I think that's interesting. So you're not limited by your geographic location. No, no, not at all. I mean. Heck, we rarely see any of these properties personally that we buy. And when we're behind our computer, we look at everything about the properties. We ins- we look at the photos and everything that our team went out to the site and, and got, but mm-hmm. we're not actually going out there. You don't need to. Okay. I have another, another little tip I want you to throw out there. The mm-hmm. difference between like a private engineer for septic and county or city engineer, like septic Boy, stuff. this is getting deep, Heather. I know. I think this is kind of a cool one though, because uh-huh. I... I, I wouldn't necessarily have known. I, right. And I think this is something that like you knew that I was like, well. Right. And on a lot of these areas, this is this is one major thing. Like one of the biggest hurdles is getting that septic system approved or perk test approved. I need to stop you because um, also make sure to mention about how you can the alternative one. So go on. Okay. 
Yeah. So to get a conventional septic system approved, mm-hmm. you need to have a perk test done. Basically, they drill holes in the ground. They see how deep it is to the groundwater. They test the rates that the water drains into the soil. All these different things. Because so, like the septic leaches out the, right. the liquid Slush. waste. Thank you. I knew you were going to turn it dirty. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> well, Literally. Dirty business, Heather. Uh, I think you already used that one. We're probably talking a lot about septic today. But anyhow, so getting that approved septic system or approved perk test is kind of a big deal if you want to build, ultimately, a build on the property for mm-hmm. someday. So if you can get that kind of situated, you're ulti- you're you're basically increasing the value of the property. You're taking something that's an unknown and making it a known. And it scares people. They're oh, like, yeah. oh, no. Yeah. You know, so you have a couple routes in most of these areas. You could hire the county to go out and actually do the test for you. On your I behalf. think a lot of people do that, right? Because right. that's what you think. Like, I'm going to go to the county. Yeah. And I'm going to go to the county. And they're the right. ones that dictate right. this. And, and they may just go out and kind of drill a hole exactly where you tell them to. Like, I want to put my house here. Drill a hole over there because that's where I want my septic system. So they may go out there. And if it's, you know, because the soil varies from spot to spot on the property, they may drill the holes there and they may be like, oh, okay, this is not suitable. It didn't pass the perk test. But in reality, if you had hired a soil scientist that actually will look at the soil charts, will kind of go on site and kind of determine what the best areas would be, they would drill in a different area and find a good suitable soil that would make it, you know, a past perk test for a conventional septic system. So. And that's why five to 10 acres is so important. That's right. That's a lot of space to dig I mean, in, so. and you know beforehand, I mean, if you're buying on a stream mm-hmm. or it's in a floodplain or, you know what I mean? Like yeah. these are these other things. So, and you've already taken that right. off the table. Right. And if you're buying a parcel that's a half an acre or an acre, like you're, you don't, you don't have many areas to drill these holes. To, like there's. Well, and the yeah. leech lines have to be a certain length too. Right. So you literally, there's just not enough. Right. Okay. Go on. So. so what, where were we going? So, I mean, so pretty much you can go to the county, which is what a lot of people think. And if mm-hmm. you're buying a piece of land and you're like, I want to increase the value to sell it for more, I want to get a, a perk, test, perk test approved. You can go to the county. Mm-hmm. They'll drill a hole. They'll say yes or no. And and, and a lot of times that's fine. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's even better just to go to an independent um, soil engineer. Soil, soil, soil scientist. scientist yeah. Sorry. Who will be able to say ahead of time, you know, like these are like they look at they, they have their all their you know, right. They're they pellet- put in the effort to try mm-hmm. to find the good spots. And, you know, they're they're going to determine or not, like, if there's any good space on that property. And they might come back and say, no, there's no good space. If I've drilled holes in all these different areas, mm-hmm. there's nothing. But right. at least they're going to exhaust all your options. Right. If you go to the county or some other sort of government entity like that, that's probably not going to happen. Right. So they'll pick, like, this one spot. Mm-hmm. It's a little more expensive. Mm-hmm. But... I personally Big like sure it's definitely worth it. Right. And if you've got five to 10 acres, there's a lot more options. You're not going to get the county to come out and drill 5,000 holes. No. And they're not going to look ahead of time and say, yeah, you're right. This is the best one. I'm sure there's some that will, but they're limited. Like they're issuing these permits and all this kind of stuff. Right. So when you're thinking about that, it's another team member that you might not even realize that you can have um, on your side. Right. Exactly. Um, now you kept using the word traditional. Is there or another conventional? conventional sorry. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, let's so say it fails the perk. Right. So if it fails the perk, they have these alternative systems in many of these areas. So basically what that means is you could probably get a septic system there, but it's probably going to be a more expensive septic system. And it may be an alternative type system where 
they have a mound of dirt on your property and they put the septic system in there or something like that. But there's a couple of different ways, systems that they could do. But bottom line is it's going to cost more money. Right. And a lot of people, I think, shy away from that. You could say, oh, it's, you could, you, you know, it didn't do this, but you could do this. And people are like, mm, no, yeah. I, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so and you want to like if you're buying it to sell it to sell it quickly just to turn that money you don't want to have all these different you don't have to talk anybody into it yeah. right you want to buy things that are like easily marketable right exactly what are some other tips and tricks that have helped you get up and going like or that you wish you knew to get up and going mm-hmm. quicker or yeah. common yeah here's one here's a big stumbling block but here's one area where i see you know, people that attempt to get into this business where they fail, it's they're not being consistent with their outreach efforts. Our outreach efforts at this point in time are 100% sending out mail. So one thing that we make sure to do without fail is sending out that mail and a certain number of pieces of mail each month. Every two weeks, actually, we send out a batch. And that's like the most important thing. Because if you stop that, the leads are going to stop coming in. You're not going to be able to buy properties. You're not going to be able to resell properties. It's going to eventually bring your business to a grinding halt. What happens with a lot of investors is they don't they don't get that piece. Like they'll send out a batch of mail. They'll start getting a lot of activity, a lot of calls. They'll start working on all these deals, these potential deals, and they'll get sidetracked and they don't send out mail for another month or two. And then by the time they send out mail, their phone stops ringing. Then they're like, well, better send out some more mail, but then there's a big lead time until that those leads start hitting again. It's just like, you know, it takes so much time to get that, that not, not uh, an exorbitant amount of time, but it takes a while to build up that momentum. What's that pipeline? You want to keep it like constantly filled. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like one of the biggest things that you can do. If you, if you can make yourself consistent with getting at that mail out, just like if you like going to work out, you know, like you're going to be the most successful if you're consistently working out, not, if you work out Monday and you work out next Thursday, you're, you're going to This have, feels personal. You're going to have worse results. So you got to be very consistent. And how did you learn that lesson? I don't know. I, I don't know that there's a specific thing, I guess. Two summers ago, cross-country road trip. Oh, well, yes. I told you, and I quote, Pete, take a break. Yes. Relax right. a little. That's right. And what I did was I stopped sending out mail and then it took probably two, three months of kind of lackluster purchases and things to get back to where I wanted to be, you know, before we took the trip. So that's right. a lot, Heather. I know. The momentum going. I know. I was yes. like, I thought it was a brilliant idea. Like, just relax. Everything right. is dumb. I should have made you. I should have, like, just kept you working even while you're driving across the country. Right. That's right. Um, but now it's not a, a big deal because, you know, you have a system in place that you're not answering that phone. Oh, yeah. You know, yes. and I think that that's something you can build up to. Like. If you're just starting and you have a full-time, you know, nine to five job, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Like we talked about two to three calls a day. You can right. call people back. It's not you a big deal. You can people back too. You can text mm-hmm. them back. There's all different ways that people will communicate with you and you just kind of have to communicate with them in the way that they prefer to be communicated with. So, yeah. And I know like a lot of people are into that, the fire movement, you know, that financial independence retire early. And I think that this is a really... If, if that's your goal is to retire early, this is a great way to do it. Right. Um, and I think the other thing too, is that a lot of people want to retire early, but maybe don't want to stop working. Right. Like, right. and so this isn't something that's encompassing your whole life. It can, mm-hmm. but you can also, once you have enough money, you can invest in a, all these different people, transaction coordinators, you know? Yep. You just gradually build your team. And that's what mm-hmm. I did. I mean, the team essentially at the beginning was just me 
And then I brought in uh, another assistant that was working with us in our other business. And I was like, hey, I need some help and sort of trained him on some of the jobs that I was doing that I didn't want to do anymore. So I trained him to do some of those things. And then I brought in other people on our team as, as sales and and momentum and everything built. And uh, gradually you just start building a big team. And then, it, you know, at some point you're kind of overseeing things. You're just kind of overseeing the deals. You're kind of directing your team and helping them with everything. And you're doing less of the day-to-day type stuff. Yeah. So. And then you also have created like a whole like CRM. I don't know. What, oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's a main thing uh, that's really helped us kind of level up is the fact that we've got an entire business system built. It's not just a, a CRM for dealing with leads. It actually tracks everything within our business, all the transactions, all of our due diligence and research on our properties. Everything associated with our land business is customized and built within this business system. So it's really been something that's been a game changer for us and allowed it allows us to do many more deals, stay way more organized and have a lot of the tasks actually automated within the system, which is pretty nice. I think for me, you could go to one spot and see everything mm-hmm. about it. Yep. So like, let's there. say you have other people helping you. It's not like you're going to be messaging them, Joe, what's going on with this one right. or anything? Because there's detailed notes There's de- and you've created this whole thing that yeah, they can see all the files. They can see everything about the properties mm-hmm. right there. Right. Um, I'm excited for you to be able to share that. Yes. Eventually. Very soon. Yes. Yes. What else? Yeah. So some other things that really help you get started in the business. I know this is this is one thing that many people are concerned with for good reason is the how do I actually buy these properties? Mm -hmm. You know, like how do I how do I pay for them? You know, like uh, you you may not have all this cash sitting around in, in an account waiting to invest in these properties. But but how do you still get involved in the land business? And the interesting thing is that there are partners out there, funding partners, they call them, that will happily put up the money for the deal. If you bring the deal to the table, they'll put the money uh, up for the deal. Like they'll buy it essentially. And you are splitting the profits when it resells. So I find a property I can buy for 10,000. I can sell it for 50,000 and I don't have $10,000. So I can go to you and say, Hey Pete, will you pay the $10,000? Right. You say you evaluate it. Yep. This is a good deal. Mm Mm-hmm. It's also good because then this other person's evaluating this deal. Right. But side note, you know what I mean? That's a great part of it, actually. You know, it's like giving you the reinforcement, especially as you're getting started. So you give me the $10,000 or you $10,000 to escrow. We buy it for $10,000. We list it for $50,000. We sell it for $50,000. There's other costs and stuff involved. Let's say that's $15,000. I mean, another $5,000, right? Right. Okay. So we're at $15,000. So then, and we sold it for $50,000. So what's left? $35,000. Okay. And then how much do I get? How much do you get? Seventeen five each. Okay, actually, you get twenty seven five. Hmm? Oh yes, well, the original funder gets their actual initial investment right. back, but profits, as profits, far as profits go. So I get seventeen thousand five hundred dollars. I don't have to put any money out, right. right? Yeah, other people's money, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Which so. is pretty magical because I think for a lot of people, if you're if you're still not confident with your ability. You're getting that free second opinion. Mm-hmm. You're not putting your cash in. Mm-hmm. Now I take that seventeen thousand five hundred. I use that for more mail. I use that to fund my own next deal. Right. And then I just keep parlaying that. You know what I mean? Exactly. What was our? Do you remember our initial mailer? First time our we. How much it was? Mailer was ten thousand. Ten thousand dollars. Yeah. No, ten thousand pieces. Of oh, mail, ten thousand pieces. Which is about five thousand dollars. Okay. So on average, you're probably looking at about fifty cents. Per mailer, per per letter that we send out. Um, and what do you think the would be if I want to be co- I want to be conservative in the money I spend for my first mailer? What would be the most conservative but still impactful? Like how much money would it cost me? 
That's a great question, Heather. I think a range. I think sometimes a little differently than some people on that. Like I like to go big, right? But I understand the need to be conservative as well. So you know, I would probably spend at least two thousand dollars. Okay. You know, on your first mailer. You know, and I know that's a lot of money, but it's a business. You know, so you have to keep that in mind first. You're going to have to dedicate resources in, in order to get a return. So you could spend two thousand dollars in your first mailer, but you could spend a lot of time trying to refine that list. So hopefully, you're dealing with a better list of people that are more likely to sell to you. Like maybe you've, you know, you're going to target out of area owners or people that have owned these properties for over twenty years, or you know, some sort of other criteria that you set, and you could filter for all these different things. You know, you you build a really refined list, then you're going to get a better return on your mail. So we kind of do the whole like throw it, scatter it. Like, mm-hmm. so we spent five thousand mm-hmm. dollars, but we theoretically could have had the same results. I mean, we don't know this for sure as spending two thousand dollars if you had really refined that list more. Oh yeah, yeah, you're going to get a higher return on your mailing investment. Mm-hmm. If you really refine your list. And that means taking out things that are obviously not something we'd want to buy or certain other triggers. Uh We do that, but there are, you know, certain groups or segments of people that are more likely to buy than others, more likely to sell than others. So So it's like trading. If you have more time Mm -hmm. or if you have more money or just, you know, how you want to do it. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting because I think a lot of people think, you know, there's only one way and it's not. And I think that's just the cool thing even when we're doing all these podcasts is talking about all the different ways. Do you have a great deal under contract? We'll submit it to partnerwithpete.com. The Partner with Pete program is a deal funding program where we will actually use our funds to complete the purchase of the property. We will do every other step of the process, including the due diligence, the transaction side, the marketing side, and the transaction on the resale side. And when all the dust settles, We will split the profits 50-50. There is no downside for you as an investor, only upside. So once again, go to partnerwithpete.com, submit your deal there, and let's get it funded. You know, like we're talking about land investing right now, but we also have just talked about some other random, you know what I mean? Like there's so much overlay. Right. Oh, definitely. And I feel like this is kind of a gateway land flipping to other things too, Mm -hmm. because if you do it right, then you can take that money and yes, absolutely. Like keep, um, buying more and more land and you know what I mean? Like, and that's a short, these are short term investments, right? Like 60 day hold times. Right. This is the short term business, like cash generating stuff. Mm -hmm. There's the other side of it where, you know, as you're really building things up, you're going to want to invest those proceeds into longer term holds or for wealth building. Right. So. And so, and it's funny because you can kind of dictate it and maybe the first year or something, you're not going to do any of that. Right. You're just going to keep getting you because you need that cash. Right. You're you need trying the, to build the biggest snowball you can. Right. And you need the cash to keep investing to buy more. And also what, uh, me personally, uh, I'm more, you said you like to go big. You're more optimistic. I'm more pessimistic and anything scares me. So, Knowing my personality, you know, our first one was what, five, 10,000? How much was the first property we bought? I believe it was 17,000. 17,000. I love that you have a memory because I can't remember anything. Well, uh, I, you know, I write about all these actually. That's a good good point yeah. to, to uh, stopping point kind of because I, I actually do a monthly income report where I detail all these transactions. And I've got something on our website too, which is our 51st deals. And it breaks down all the 51st properties we bought and resold. So that's a really interesting. I say what we bought it for, what we sold it for, how long we held it for, how much profit we made, what went well with the property, what didn't go well, 
little story about each one. So really, really insightful if you kind of want to know what's possible within this business. And then I do a monthly income report, which is basically a version of that. I talk about how much revenue we made that month, how much profit we made, you know, each of the deals that we did that month. And uh, so you can kind of track your progress, see what's possible. You knew exactly where I was getting to, though, because I was going to say that, like, we started like on like the smaller property, right? And now I send you know, or we're buying properties that are, you know, 10 times that size with our right. money and it's not scary to me anymore. Right. And I think that I was going to say that like, as you do it, it's kind of like you get more comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. And it feels like monopoly money, honestly, like mm-hmm. that doesn't feel like real money. It's just exchanging it here, there. It's real money. Right. I appreciate well, you get that. Validation. Like you get some mm-hmm. confidence that like, okay, this actually does work. Right. Like I know what I'm doing. You're confident and you're, you know, everything that you put together, you know, that this is, um, a good property and you're you're relatively confident that you're going to make a good profit margin on the property and uh you know we've done 100 deals at this point and haven't lost money yet you mm-hmm. know you- a couple of them we made a hundred dollars another one we made five hundred dollars but those weren't losses which means that they're wins in my book because they they ended up being like not the greatest properties for one reason or another but we didn't lose money on them. So. Funny thing is we probably still made more than if we'd put it somewhere with interest. Right. Or like, in the stock market where we would have lost, lost it. it. Yeah. Yes. But I think that, you know, there's there's people who are going to just jump right in and do, you know, those things. And they're going to learn their, from their own success that this is viable. Mm-hmm. But for somebody like me, seeing your income reports, so I was kind of like getting it is that like, that's like a jump ahead because you can go through there and see like, oh, this works. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you can actually see and then also see like what mistakes or what we learned or what we would do different. You'll learn a lot about like what's possible within this business and kind of how to how to do things really, because it's not it's not stuff that other people are sharing out there. There are you know, there's a whole segment of land investors out there, but none of them are, you know, none of them are doing this type of stuff. At least they're not giving it away for free. No, and none of this is rocket science. When you think of it, really, just in the basis is like, this is just like any other. This is just like any other business. It really is like I'm going to buy this um, wholesale for this price. Mm -hmm. I'm going to offer it to the general population or public for Mm -hmm. this price, and I'm going to make the spread. Right, that's right. Buying and selling. That's like it's like buying from the manufacturer Mm -hmm. direct overseas. Mm-hmm. And then taking those things and selling them here in the United States for, for a lot more. Yeah. And just like in that business, I need to make sure that that manufacturer's, you know, producing good quality products that I'm actually going to get it, which is exactly what you're doing. You're checking it out, making sure the product's good. And then you're making sure that you're actually going to get it, meaning that an escrow or title company. Mm-hmm. So anyone who's skeptical of protections, that's that's why we do it like that. That's right. Um, but I think that, yeah, the first thing I would do is we've talked about a lot of ways to like kind of jumpstart it and things, you know, uh, mitigating issues, all that stuff. But I think that... The best thing to do would be to go, where do they find those? Turningprofit.com, Heather. Okay. Yes. Turning profit. And if you look at the very top of the website, there is a thing that says, see what's possible in the land business, get um, our 51st deal. So there's a little box, first name, email, just click that. And then instantly you'll get that emailed. And I actually filmed a, a video. It's a number of things in that. There's actually a video of me going through each of these deals. It's over an hour long video. So you might have to stop and... And pause it for a while if you're sick of me. But uh, but then I also include the slides and all the information and a spreadsheet so you can see all of our deals on there as well. Okay. I mean, I think this is a good place to stop. Mm-hmm. Hop on over there, turningprofit.com. Yeah, turningprofit.com. Mm-hmm. Check it out. Obviously, keep listening to all the other episodes on this wonderful podcast, wherever you like listening to it. And uh, what else? Oh, if you're ever interested in partnering on a deal, you know, like especially some of the larger deals. Uh, we may consider taking on partners, you know, reach out to me. My email address is on the website as well. Mm-hmm. Just send me an email. Let me know that you've got money that you want to invest or whatever. And we'll 
see if there could be a match on, on any sort of deal partnership going forward. Um, you know, we have never done on these podcasts, but like what everyone always says, like, I don't know. Leave us a comment, subscribe, oh, share with a friend. Ratings. I know we're five not saying any of that stuff. We never do that. Right. Like when you said that, you just triggered something. And I was like, oh my gosh, we've never once said that. Yeah. So, If you liked listening to this content, we would love it if you gave us five stars on whatever platform you're listening to us. So, Do you listen to podcasts? Yes, all the time. Okay. I mostly watch them on YouTube and you'll find these on YouTube as well. Yeah, so, so. like, comment, subscribe there too. Yeah. Only if they're five-star reviews. Yes. If if you have anything less than five-star. Email Pete and let him know. Email Heather. Yes. And let her know how how she can improve. Oh, my goodness. Don't leave it on there. (laughs) And with that, I'm going to actually kick him under the table. So. Yeah. Can't reach me, can you? Till next time. Yes. (laughs) Bye. Thanks. Ready to start turning profit yourself? Head to turningprofit.com to step up your real estate investing game. See you on the next episode.